1: Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.
2: You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
1: Meet Namely, the all-in-one
3: HR, payroll, and benefits software employees love to use. Clock in, schedule a vacation, and more from your desk or on the go. Plus, use the social feed to share company news and give shout-outs for a job well done. Over 1,000 companies use Namely every day. Get a free demo by visiting Namely.com slash crime. That's Namely.com slash crime. Build a better workplace with Namely.
4: If Solving Mysteries is your cup of tea, take a
3: stab at
4: Dispatch, an interactive serial story that's delivered directly to your door. The story has been testing our detective skills with a new set of clues each month, clippings, mysterious objects, and hidden websites, all leading through a mind-bending ride. Each tale unfolds over several deliveries with helpful clues in every box to uncover the truth. And just for crime writers on listeners, you can save 50% on your first box by going to breakoutdispatch.com slash writers and using the code writers writers at checkout.
3: I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we will look at the latest legal victory for serial's, Adnan Syed. Another court affirms the decision to give him a new trial, but is he any closer to freedom? Then we'll look at the binge-worthy podcast, maybe, Empire on Blood. A journalist introduces us to the scariest drug dealer in the Bronx, who just may be in prison for a murder he didn't commit. Joining me to dive into all that is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flynn. Good evening, Kevin.
4: I'm feeling the love, Rebecca. You are? I am. People love me. I'm oh. good enough, I'm smart enough, whatever the hell that
3: means. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. All right, also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and certified cat lady,
5: Lara Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, yes, my cats have the fever right now, the spring fever, so, um, yeah. Cat scratch fever? Yeah, well, literally, they, like, sit at the door now because we started letting them out a little bit because um, they were strays when we got them, and so they, they'd they gotten the fever then, and they scratch like, they're digging a hole through the glass. She's got
3: the fever, and the only thing that can cure it is more cowbell.
4: More cowbell.
5: <laughs> yes. <laughs> One more
3: cats. And finally, <laughs> no, no more cats. Finally we're this the acclaimed novelist behind the City Trilogy and the crime writers on book club dungeon master, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby.
0: Dungeon master? Yes. Where did that come from?
3: Didn't you play Dungeons and Dragons in high school, Toby, like Kevin did?
0: Uh, no. <laughs>
4: what? The dungeon master was in charge of making everything happen.
3: That's right.
0: Yeah, well, I've you know I I know what the Dungeon Master does, but I didn't I didn't play. When I was a senior in college, we were in this quad, and then there was like this tiny little courtyard. Then on the other side was this like lounge, mm-hmm. and they had like Dungeons and Dragons club at like eight o'clock on Saturday mornings. Yeah, <laughs> so I would wake up after a long night of having fun to like people like ah oh, you know I've got a eighth level orc on my tail (laughs) it's just like shut up
3: i'm
0: trying to sleep
3: i have a son right right now who's really into dungeons and dragons and a it's weirder than i thought it was but also better than i thought it was i'm I'm still trying to figure it out but what we're talking about is the fact that for our patreon supporters those supporting us at what like the five dollar level or beyond we have launched a brand new podcast. The first episode is available. It is Toby's Toby Time. Book club. What's the real name? It doesn't have a name, but I'm calling it Toby's Toby Time Book Club. I liked
4: Balls Deep myself.
3: <laughs> I like balls Toby's deep. Toby Time Book Club. I like Toby's Toby Time Book Toby, Club. Toby, you get
4: to pick. What's the name? No, I think Toby's Balderdash. Book Club is- Balderdash. <laughs>
3: Balderdash. Why can't it just be Toby's Book Club? If like if it was at your house, we would just call it Toby's Book Club. Toby's Toby Time, because that kind of has
5: like a fun little ring to it, and it's
3: fun to say. It is. But this week's Book Club is great. It features me. Mm-hmm and Rabia Chaudhry, host of Undisclosed and Champion of Adnan Syed, and Patrick Hine from the True Crime Obsessed podcast, and we talk about I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. And I got to say, I was in the book club and talked about this book, and then I also listened to the book club plot podcast. It's a really good book club podcast. Like, <laughs> it's good.
4: Makes you want to read the book or makes you want to talk? I read talk, the book already. Yeah, right. That's well, why I was I know able to you be in did. the
5: but the book club podcast.
4: <laughs> Laura and I are on the outside. We don't care.
5: It's okay, Kevin. We can have our own club. We can exactly. have our own Dungeons and Dragons club, and Kevin. So. And you can have a podcast for that. And you Ooh. can upload it to Patreon if you want. You can. <laughs> that is isn't. That is a channel that is available to you. Nobody
4: wants to pay for that.
5: <laughs> I don't know. I tried to play a similar game last weekend for the first time, and it like made my head explode. These, It was like Treasure Island or Treasure Hunt. I was like, what is happening here? Yeah. I, I don't know if I could figure out Dungeons and Dragons. So Toby, can you just tell our listeners real quick, quick pitch? How did they get to listen to this book club podcast?
0: To listen to this book club podcast, you go to our Patreon site and if you pledge five dollars a month or more, uh you'll get a little email which shows which gives you instructions about where to sign up and then you can add uh sort of all the extra Stuff to your the you know, podcast feed on your podcast app. Right. Rebecca's got it all kind of written out nicely. Yes. That Even I could do it. <laughs> so it's it's uh, for our
4: Patreon listeners. I just I have to say, you know, we hear it at the, end, the beginning of every episode. And it's that guy with the voice that just crushes it. To support, support this podcast. Go to
3: patreon.com. And he mispronounces Patreon as
4: Patreon. I like it. And now we all say it's Patreon. Patreon yeah. Toby, I don't know if I it's should correct you of, or not. Kind it's of like patron, how I said but...
5: Oregon. Yeah, nasty, exactly. I got a he's... lot of flack. Oregon. Sorry. Holy Oregon. Holy crap. Origami. People from
4: Oregon, if you grew up in Oregon when that uh, wild, wild country stuff with the Rajneeshis was going on, goddamn do you have a strong opinion and you want to let me know about it.
3: Kevin, I know you got a lot of flack from Rajneeshi victims.
4: I didn't get a lot of flack. Victims? You no. got a lot of flack for saying that. that oh, that uh that Sheila is like your your uh, spirit animal Listen, or something. I
3: wasn't I wasn't talking about <laughs> Sheila I wasn't talking about Sheila's actions actually poisoning the people or whatever. I was talking about the way she comes across on talk shows at that time.
4: Oh, she's super charming She's but, legit
3: my spirit animal. But that doesn't make it. She would have yeah. made a great podcast. That's all I have to say. Can we talk about email that we got? Oh, we got one email that we're dying to tell you guys about. And yeah. I'm just going to like Kevin read it right now. Kevin, can you just yeah. read it? And this it's, is about by the way what our victory in the podcast yeah, bracket. So in July
4: of people have
3: which I promise like we shouldn't talk about that too much longer. It's like old news. Yeah,
4: I know. I know. Yeah, so we got a lot of emails from folks um, back when we were talking about email us with your I voted for you. Yes. And I've got one here, subject line I voted for you and it's like Hi crime writers, we voted for you and did even more as we are Toby's parents and what would CWO be without him. (laughs) We are faithful fans. (laughs) Carry on the good work, Faith and Jonathan. And then I got another Faith and Jonathan email. It says, alas, the email went to promotions and we missed it. (laughs) I'm not sure what happened there. Best of luck and super congratulations for winning the bracket, Faith and Jonathan Ball. To which I sent an email back myself saying, Toby who?
3: (laughs) Toby, your parents are so nice.
0: Thanks, mom and dad. There you
3: go. Oh, my God. I feel like I've talked to my parents so much in the last couple days on podcasts. I'm not going to, like, share my angst again. No.
4: Toby's parents are, like, 100% normal.
3: Toby has no angst. (laughs) Yeah. I will give one, a a couple things just before we wrap up our book club conversation. At the very end of this podcast, where I usually put outtakes, Mm -hmm. what I'm instead going to put is the moment that Rabia Chaudhry came on the line for our book club podcast, Uh. And Patrick Hines. So it's a
4: freebie. If you didn't spend five bucks, you can still hear this.
3: Reacted for a couple of minutes to meeting (laughs) Robbie Achaudhary. Oh, that's great.
4: So you're not going to put outtakes of me farting this time?
3: No. I'm going to put just the the book club starting and connecting Robbie Achaudhary, Patrick Hines, Toby, and me. It's a beautiful podcast summit moment.
4: So anyway, we have this podcast we're going to do tonight.
3: We are. (laughs) And uh, here's how we're going to kick it off. So, Kevin, can you read this for me? True Crime Podcast Update! Well, for the last couple weeks, we've been talking about the Dirty John series coming out on Bravo, and Dirty John himself has been cast. The actor Eric Bana will play Dirty John himself, John Meehan, with Connie Britton, the queen of Nashville slash Friday Night Lights, playing. What's the character's name, Kevin? Stupid Deborah. (laughs) (laughs) That's stupid. No, it's just Deborah. Deborah. And uh, when we say anyone who's just joined us who's never listened before, we don't think Deborah is stupid. Kevin once said, "Please stop criticizing Deborah for being in an abusive relationship." The podcast is not called Stupid Deborah; it's called Dirty John. Dirty John. All right. So Eric Bana as Dirty John Kevin thoughts
4: Hulk smash <laughs> <laughs> it's a good pick if you if you've act, if you've you watch Dateline NBC you finally got to see a photo of the guy
5: yeah I think Eric yeah. Mann is a good cast he's not the worst yeah. uh, oh. Laura thoughts well um, since I'm not in the loop a lot of the times I actually looked him up today and um, I found his top seven quotes and one of them I think really lends itself to him being Dirty John so I'm going to read it for you I look my best when I take my helmet off after a long motorcycle ride. <laughs> I have a glow oh, and a bit God. of helmet hair.
4: Mm, just like Toby. S- Jesus.
5: And he also <laughs> says he races historic muscle cars back in Australia. Of course he does. So I don't know. He sounds like a hunk. He looks like a hunk. Yeah.
0: He's pretty hunky.
5: Uh, Toby, thoughts?
0: I was going to feel bad about saying this until I heard that, um, <laughs> but I, I think he's the guy you call when Hugh Jackman turns you down. Oh, s- <laughs> <laughs> nah. i <laughs> Oh,
5: that's so good. Oh,
4: I don't see Hugh Jackman that, being Dirty John. It's but so good. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good observation. That All right,
5: into his his next top quote that I'm going to read you quickly. I fell in love with many women at school who had no idea I existed.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so did
3: I.
5: And who still have no don't idea I existed. existed yeah. All
3: right. Uh, Kevin, before we move on to our next thing, can yeah. we just say, the last couple of weeks before we recorded our podcast episode, you and I have done a very brief Facebook Live video yeah. with the Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group, mm-hmm. not on a regular Facebook page, with those who have opted into the discussion group. So, if you love this podcast, I'm just going to make a pitch again. Join the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group and you will get inappropriate pre-podcast live content that you can watch on video later from the closet in our basement it's pretty great
4: yeah it just tells you what's coming up and you get a little peek behind the scenes
3: maybe hear kevin swear a little bit
4: yeah a little bit (laughs) (laughs) this week we talked about laura's underwear and more uh, on that to come and you
3: got to look into our marital fights (laughs) about home improvements Holy shit! <laughs> all uh, right, Kevin, can you read this for me, please? Another true crime podcast update. It seems weird to like relegate this to the other because this yeah. is the big news of the last couple weeks. As you all probably have heard, the three judge court of special appeals in Maryland affirmed Judge Welch's lower court ruling granting Anand Sayed, the subject of Serial Season One, a new trial. But here's how it shakes out. The court reversed the finding on the cell tower evidence, but also reversed the finding on Asia McLean's testimony, which had been a victory for the state in the prior appeal. Either way, it's another legal victory for Adnan Syed, bringing him one step closer to a new trial or perhaps some sort of deal uh, or perhaps some sort of charges being dropped situation. So. To get an explanation of this decision and its impact, Kevin talked to our very own legal Siri, Colin Miller. Let's just hear what he had to say.
4: So, in the decision from the uh, the Court of Special Appeals, we seem to have a win and a loss for Adnan's team. Could you explain how it sh- how it shook out?
2: Yes, yeah, sure. So there were three judges who took part in this opinion. Two of the judges, the majority, found that trial counsel Christina Gutierrez was ineffective in failing to contact prospective alibi witness Asia McLean. And so that's two parts. One, Gutierrez was deficient in failing to contact this witness, there was no strategic reason to fail to do so. And second, if she had contacted this witness and called her at trial, it directly contradicted the state's timeline and therefore there's a reasonable probability it would have produced a different outcome, in other words, a hung jury or an exoneration. Now, on the other hand, Judge Welch had granted not a new trial on the cell tower issue, finding that Gutierrez was ineffective by failing to use that AT&T disclaimer about incoming calls being unreliable for location status. And on appeal, the Court of Special Appeals found that issue was waived, that this was an issue that they couldn't even hear and therefore didn't reach the merits of Judge
4: Welch's opinion. Mm -hmm. Is that waiver because there was a time limit or because of some other uh, procedural reason?
2: Yeah, what they found was there's this case, Curtis versus State, that Judge Welchard relied upon, and that said, if you have what's known as a fundamental right, including the right to the effective assistance of counsel, you can't waive that unless the waiver is knowing and intelligent. But what the Court of Special Appeals found was that test does not apply if you've already raised the same issue before and are simply claiming a new reason that your right has been violated— and what they found here was, in his first petition, had not had not claimed ineffective assistance of counsel based on failure to contact the alibi witness, and now he was merely claiming a new reason, the cell tower evidence. And so what they found was, this knowing and intelligent waiver standard does not apply, and therefore, by failing to raise this issue in his first petition, he had waived it, and they couldn't consider it.
4: Well, looking at the decision, it's almost like um, the mirror decision of Judge Welsh's decision. What... Was successful on the lower court appeal, was not successful here, and vice versa.
2: Exactly, it is an exact mirror image. Where Judge Wilch granted a new trial on the cell tower evidence and denied a new trial on the alibi issue, and now the court of special appeals says it's actually the opposite. He doesn't get a new trial on the cell tower issue; he does get a new trial on the alibi issue.
4: Okay, so Asia McLean is the big star again. The state had offered four reasons why Asia McLean wasn't a problem to them, and none of them scored with the court. Can you quickly break down what the what the state was arguing and, and why the court uh, rejected those arguments?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll focus on the two main ones, I guess. The first one was the state said, well, look— at trial, we had this timeline. We said that Adnan had killed Hay at the Best Buy in time to make this 2.36 p.m. call from a payphone at Best Buy to Jay Wiles, and that was the come-and-get-me call. And there was this controversial decision that the state made an appeal, which was to say— Yeah, we claim that at trial, but if Asia had testified, we could have shifted that timeline and we could have said all of a sudden that, in fact, this 315 call on his call log was the come and get me call. And the Court of Special Appeals says, well, actually, that shows how prejudicial it was for defense counsel not to contact Asia McLean because it shows she directly rebutted her timeline at trial. And then, yeah, some other reasons that the state had claimed were that, well, actually, this place is Adnan at the library, which is closer to the exit point from the high school. And therefore, it could have put him in a position where he could have abducted Heyman Lee. And again, sort of what the, what the court is saying in response is, yeah, I mean, you can come up with that reason. You can say that you could look at the letters by Asia McLean and say they weren't offered a lie. There, There are many things that defense counsel could have done, but the bottom line is you can't make those decisions without talking to the alibi witness. And therefore, any sort of reason offered by the state is rebutted by the fact that Have just picked up the phone and called her, and without doing that, you can't really assess how good or bad she'd be as an alibi witness.
4: Right, it sort of seems like a a flaw of basic logic. You can't argue those other things because. They didn't happen. You, they, they couldn't have happened without this first step, which is interviewing Asia to make any kind of determination.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. It's You can't make that threshold decision of whether to call the alibi witness without first talking to them.
4: Well, we know everybody was really jazzed about the, the cell tower evidence and the, the stuff that Susan and you guys had had dug up. If Adnan were to get a new trial, does this mean the cell tower information couldn't be introduced?
2: Yeah, well, there's a legal standard in Maryland. It's called the Frye Standard, and it says that if a technique or technology is not generally accepted in the relevant expert community, that evidence is inadmissible. And of course, the defense is going to say, well, we have the smoking gun. Your own disclaimer that accompanied your cell tower record said incoming pings are not reliable for determining location status. And of course, the state's going to try to claim this is boilerplate, or it doesn't really mean what we claim it means in the disclaimer. And, of course, you know Judge Welch, in his opinion, said, no, it is what the defense claims. This does raise questions about the reliability. And so I think there's a good argument if this case goes back to trial, the defense can have these
4: incoming cell tower pings deemed inadmissible. Now, prosecutors have about a month to decide its next steps. But, you know, there is this shadow of politics over the case at this point because our, our volunteer prosecutor, Thiru Vignaraja, is running for Baltimore state attorney. Can you handicap how that might play into a decision that either side might make um, that isn't usually something that gets considered?
2: Yeah, I mean, I could really see it working both ways, I suppose. So with Thiru running for district attorney, You know, on the one hand, he might think, I need to show that I'm tough on crime and I'm going to see this appeal through and I'm fighting for the victim and her family and I'm not going to drop this. I'm going to fight this tooth and nail until I've had my last appeal. On the other hand, you know, there's an argument that this case constantly being in the press and having media attention and the defense basically winning the last few years shines a poor light on him and his constant appeals. And so you can imagine him deciding on the other hand, look, this is something I just want it to be over and done with. I- I'm not going to continue to appeal this. I'm going to let this decision stand and you know we'll see what happens.
4: So an important distinction is he, he is running for the Baltimore City state's attorney. Is that the one that's handling the appeal or is it a state uh, level Organization. Is that the is is that the body that is is handling all the appeal action?
2: It is the, the state attorney general. So it's the statewide agency that is doing this appeal. It is not Baltimore City.
4: So, you know, I guess an argument would be that the, uh, you know, whatever consideration that the prosecutors at the state level would make, it probably isn't directly tied to what a potential new state's attorney would would say, you know, at the city level, because they aren't exactly in the same office, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, another consideration here is that Thero is doing this on the side. He no longer works for the agency. And so he might have some input in terms of whether this goes forward, but he's not going to have the final say. That'll be the attorney general who would
4: decide whether to perfect this appeal. Okay, so what's the prospect of bail for Adnan?
2: Yeah, I would still say it's not great. He obviously filed for bail after Judge Welch had granted him a new trial, and at that point Judge Welch said, look, this could still go either way, and I'm going to deny bail at this time. At this point he has a second court, the Court of Special Appeals, saying you're entitled to a new trial, and that strengthens his claim for bail. At the same time, it was a 2-1 decision. We have a dissent in this case, a pretty lengthy dissent. And so I imagine the state would continue to say, look, this is a case that could still be reversed on appeal, and it's too premature to release him.
4: What's what's the legal status of someone like Anand? Because on paper, he hasn't been convicted of a crime, but he's he's still a detainee. He's still a defendant as as if he were, you know, I guess, awaiting his first trial, right?
2: Yeah, so he was granted a new trial, and what the state did at that point was they moved for what's known as a stay. So in other words, the findings of Judge Welch that he's entitled to a new trial is still there on the record, but the effect of that ruling, he gets released in a new trial, takes place, that was stayed. And so basically that's the posture we're in now where— we have these two now findings, Judge Welch in the Court of Special Appeals, saying there's enough evidence here to grant him a new trial, and yet that ruling is stayed, meaning that it doesn't take effect, and we have to decide. It's sort of this, this state of limbo, where his, his legal status is somewhere between guilty and not guilty.
4: Talk about the dissenting opinion. Is there anything in there of note? Yeah, I mean, certainly, if you're the state,
2: you're probably using this as a template for how you're going to appeal to the Court of Appeals in Maryland. Judge Graff, in her dissent, is essentially saying, look, this is a case where Christina Gutierrez is now deceased. She couldn't testify at the post-conviction proceeding as to why she didn't contact Asia McLean. And unlike the majority, Judge Graff is saying, look, there are reasons here to think it could have been strategy for Gutierrez not to contact Asia McLean. And Adnan Syed has not rebutted those and proved affirmatively that this was no mission as opposed to strategy. I'm not sure that I agree with her logic. I'm not sure that I think that her cases that she cites are on point. I think they're all sort of distinguishable. But there certainly is a lifeline that she's thrown to the state where they can now claim to the court of appeals, look, there's a judge that has said we should win. And there's some case law she cited. And that's more than the state had going into this appeal.
4: You know, there's some that say that uh, it doesn't matter that the defense keeps winning lower court appeal after appeal because whoever loses the latest round is just going to appeal to another court. So is is a win a victory in this process?
2: Well, first of all, it's quite possibly a a final victory. Uh, This is something where statistics have shown somewhere between around 8 and 13% of cases that... A party seeks to appeal to the Court of Appeals are accepted, which means, I guess, about 92 to 87% of cases aren't even heard by the Court of Appeals in Maryland. So, you know, if the Court of Appeals in Maryland decides we're not going to allow the state to appeal, it's the end of the day. Adnan gets a new trial. Now, there's some complicating factors here. There is a dissenting opinion, and in 99% of these cases at the Court of Special Appeals, there's not a dissent. That makes it much likelier the Court of Appeals is going to allow the state to appeal. But yeah, there's a decent chance this is the final opinion in the case and Adnan gets a new trial. Uh, beyond that, you know, there's inertia in the legal system. Higher court judges are pretty loath to reverse lower court judges. In this case, we now have two levels of court opinions in Maryland saying Adnan should get a new trial. And that makes it somewhat less likely the Court of Appeals is going to reverse that and find actually the state wins and we're going to take away that new trial.
4: So handicap this if if you had to put uh, a buck down, what do you think happens next?
2: It's for me, it's a coin flip as to whether the court of appeals allows the state to appeal. There are seven judges or justices on that court, and three of those seven have to agree to hear the case. And there are so many different considerations that come into play in that decision. It's impossible for me to say whether they'll take it or not. If the case does reach the court of appeals in Maryland, the highest court. I'm going to go 80-20, 80% chance that they affirm and non gets a new trial, 20% chance, one in five, that they end up reversing.
4: And the chance that maybe they'll just skip the appeal and, and go right to a new trial? Yeah, I'm going to go 50-50 on that.
2: I just There's so many different considerations that can come into play in that. I just can't handicap that and say, I think they're going to take it or not. It really could go either way. Right.
4: And there's still always the chance that the state will sort of give up the fight and say, okay, time served, or an Alfred plea, or something like that as well, right?
2: That's in the air. They could they could offer a plea today, and they could reach terms. And another thing that I've noted, which is kind of interesting, is I discussed the waiver issue before. Uh, that waiver issue that the Court of Special Appeals ruled against Adnan on, that's something the state could use in many cases down the road. And so looking at whether the state's going to appeal here, one consideration they have to have is, We got a pretty good ruling at the Intermediate Appellate Court, and that's binding precedent. We might lose this case if we don't appeal, but that opinion could help us in dozens of other cases. So, yeah, they could offer a plea deal at this point. They could decide, even apart from the odds of winning, there are reasons not to appeal here.
4: So there's a longer game for them to be considering, not just a non-sayed.
2: Yeah, potentially. If I put myself in their shoes, I'm thinking, yeah, this is a high-profile case. We might not want to give up. At the same time, two courts have ruled against us. And if we do appeal, that risks this waiver ruling. And that waiver ruling is going to help us in many cases. And so that's something they
4: have to balance. Professor Colin Miller, co-host of Undisclosed and the author of the Evidence Prof. blog, thank you as always. Sure, You're welcome.
3: Kevin. Yes. Thoughts on this new court ruling, flipping its reasons for the ineffective assistance of counsel?
4: I I, I said I was very surprised at that. It certainly, it's in the end, it's still good for none. I mean, I guess I guess on the cell tower stuff, because everybody's super excited about that. It just really seemed like a real great <laughs> well, Colombo moment that uh, Susan Simpson and the undisclosed team sort of came up with, and it certainly won the day. In uh, Judge Welch's courtroom, I kept calling him Judge Welch. Not that I got it wrong, but that's the th- one quarter French in me. Yeah, does the C H as an S H. So, uh, but I digress. I was really surprised, though, that that the Court of Special Appeals uh, went back and looked at the Asian McLean issue and ruled that that was uh, evidence of ineffective assistance of counsel, only because Judge Welch kind of like said, um, almost like said, it doesn't matter because the timeline is still messed up. That it's almost like a moot point because the timeline is messed up. It doesn't matter when Asia came into play, whether she, what she could That's say. That's what
3: the first judge said. That's what
4: said. the, yeah, the first judge said. And so this panel actually went back and dug a little deeper and said, oh, no, actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's a winnable point. And while it doesn't discount the cell tower evidence, which I thought was really super strong, again, it, it sort of stops the clock before you can get to the, the idea that the fact sheet would have changed anything. It just ends up being this decision that's saying you can't bring that issue.
3: Right. So this is the thing that I just want to clarify. Which is a win for the state. I listened to this Mm -hmm. tape with Colin twice because I edited it for this podcast before we all listened to it. I also listened to the undisclosed discussion about it, and here's what I take away. What this court basically said was... You're not necessarily wrong that Christina Gutierrez was a bad lawyer because she didn't do this uh, cell tower thing, Mm -hmm. but you can't add that to your reasons for being a bad lawyer later when your main reason for her being a bad lawyer was just that she didn't
5: contact this witness. Is that right, Kevin? Yeah. Okay, that's basically what they decided. Yeah,
4: I mean, I I think so. I mean, Laura, isn't that your, uh, your interpretation?
5: Yes, this is. And I was thinking about this as I was listening to the tape today. And, and I'm like when we had our first discussions about serial and I was still like on my raw, raw defense investigator. I'm like, that's like the first thing I would have done is gone out and talked to the alibi witness. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, even if it wasn't going to pan out, even if the alibi witness wasn't credible, you have to interview them. So I'm I feel really, you know, it's like this like moment of vindication that somebody else is agreeing on that. You know, and that that is the issue that is is really at, at the heart of the argument here.
3: Yeah. Uh, Laura, I have a side question I want to ask you. So okay. we don't know what's going to happen in the Anansad case. As, as we heard Colin say, like, they, he could just get a new trial right. or the state could make yeah. a deal or they could drop the charge. It's like a lot of things that could happen. Mm-hmm. One of the things that could happen, though, is that he could get a new trial. Mm-hmm. Meantime, Jay Wilds has given like this interview with the Intercept that oh, yeah. completely contradicts mm-hmm. his original testimony. Mm-hmm. Asia McClain herself is on Twitter and social media talking about her role and wrote a book about her mm-hmm. role mm-hmm. as an alibi witness, which, in my opinion, like doesn't make her an ideal witness either. In a weird way, no. yeah. like what is what would this trial look? I mean, you're a defense investigator. Like, what would this trial look like to you?
5: A shit show? Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I think that, you know, what I would have been doing and I think what any investigator that's involved is doing is compiling every single statement that these witnesses have made to different people, different media outlets and compiling them to use as possible impeachment material for right. these witnesses. Right. So, but but it's confusing because, I mean, that's, a, you know, at this point, there's been a lot of interviews, um, a lot of different places that people have been mentioned, like you said, a book. So, you know, I think for, you know, if it gets to that point, it's going to be on Adnan's side, getting those witnesses prepared by doing like mock cross examinations on them so that they can really hold up when they are on the stand and confronted with something that maybe is a little different than what they're saying when they're testifying.
3: Right. So so Toby, you know, listening to the first season of Serial, I don't know how well you remember it, but there's one moment that sticks out to me and that is when Sarah Koenig finally gets in touch with Asia McLean and Asia McLean basically says, like, you know, I figured if there was I don't I'm sorry, I'm gonna misquote it, but I figured if there was like something that said he wasn't guilty, I would have heard about it. And Sarah Canning says to Asia McLean, like, but I think you I might think you right. I think you might be that You're thing. It, yeah. I think you are that person. And this most recent ruling basically says, like, Asia McLean is that person. And Toby, we've had a lot of conversations on this show, debates about whether or not, you know, this medium, podcasting in particular, is good or bad for the justice system. And here we have Another court affirming that Adnan needs a new trial. But now this court, the higher court pointing to the thing that Serial did that, by the way, let's also give credit to Rabia for handing Sarah Canning the piece of paper that said like, call this person, Mm -hmm. please. Toby, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, I think, you know, I've said it like many times, which is if you're in jail and you're innocent or at least claim to be innocent, like the best thing to do is to get a podcast or a documentary made about you because suddenly all this money starts pouring into this investigation and all this, you know, attention starts getting paid and, and, and things like that. So again, you know, without serial, there's no way that this case gets the even like 1% of the attention it's getting now. So, yeah, you know, as far as that stuff goes, like I think it's it's definitely helpful for the person who is in jail to get that attention. I think our criticism about podcasts and the justice system has been more about people having this idea, I think based on cereal, that they're going to solve crimes in real time. They can um, eat 12 f- <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and, yeah, so they go out and they're like, "I'm gonna do this. Call back I think that's more of an issue than just the very idea that you're gonna do true crime podcasts, and that's gonna start shining a lot more light on a particular case or particular people, so it's good for Adnana, clearly
3: can can you just like clarify your remark that people don't think that who like maybe this oh. is the first episode they've ever listened to of our show? Well,
4: that's James from crime <laughs> that is kind <laughs> Who went on a rant about citizen (laughs) sleuths who are podcasters thinking they're changing the world. Yes. Tell them they could eat 12 (laughs) which is funny because, okay, here we have a case where, you know, in those rare cases where the podcasts actually do something. Both Serial and Undisclosed can take some credit in these, these legal arguments. But, Toby, here I think is the flip side of that attention and fame that Serial brings to Adnan's case, the downside for him. I think that it becomes so high profile that the state is almost forced to try to defend this conviction as opposed to walk away from it if this was a was a case that was on the back pages of the newspaper they very easily could just say at some point okay appeal done wipe in my hands from it and we're just going to drop the charges but i feel like and i don't know if any of you agree with me that the prosecution kind of looks like it is is motivated or at least is compelled by the idea that they need to try to protect this conviction as opposed to try to get justice because of the publicity.
3: This one weird thing that you talked about with Colin, but that didn't go where I thought it was going to go. You talked about the politics around this. Yeah. Thiru Vignaraja is running for office. Right. And I think when you talked to Colin about that, the conversation was about, like, do the judges on this panel intersect with his political career at all? That's not what I think about.
4: Yeah, what do you think about?
3: What I think about is the fact that he's running as like a liberal Democrat in this geographic area. He's soliciting donations from high-profile liberal people. And I know Rabia Chaudhry herself has called Dean Strang. One, one of the people is Dean Strang that she's called up for having donated to his campaign mm-hmm. and saying like, you do know, right, that this is the guy <laughs> who's the volunteer prosecutor who's trying to keep Adnan Sayed in prison. So we have this guy who's running as like a liberal uh, Democrat for this attorney. What is it? State's attorney's state's office. State's attorney
4: for uh, Baltimore City.
3: And the thing he's trying to run on is keeping Adnan Syed in prison. That's
4: a really good point. It's and weird. So from the, the, the The optics part of it, the PR part of it, if this is for political gain- that Thero says, I'll jump in and take this case. How is he doing politically? Because to me, it seems like- It's the wrong case. He's lost lost the justice advocates who are for none. And for the people who are like, I'm for keeping the guy in prison, he's not doing a great job. Rebecca, you're (laughs) Thero's political advisor. Would you tell him he should take time to prepare for this appeal as opposed to running for office?
3: Here's what I think. And I only know this because I see our own podcast download demographic data mm-hmm. and podcast audience, any of you who doesn't like fit into this mold, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about like just what we see because mm-hmm. we see it like from our own like audio host. You kind of see like yeah, not gap. not individual people, but just sort of general demographics of who's downloading your data. So the people who listen to true crime podcasts, we know this. We this is a fact. We know across it.
4: the industry. Yeah. Are women women Mm -hmm.
3: middle class to upper middle class?
4: Age twenty five to fifty four. Educated. Yep. Yep.
3: Voters. People who are politically engaged.
4: Mm -hmm. Professionals.
3: Professionals. Who care about issues in their community aside from crime and aside from everything. This is your like if you are running for office, this is who you're fighting for. Mm -hmm. The same people who listen to podcasts, like specifically technologically adept, people who watch the news. I just can't imagine your best look as someone who's running for office right now, especially as a Democrat and trying to win. I'm the guy trying to keep non Syed in prison. I just don't see a lot of like people in our demographic. Yeah, I mean, there are people who said, like, I don't, they don't know, I think Anand's guilty, whatever, whatever. It's just a weird fight to pick when you also know you're running for office. I don't to want me. to
4: hijack the show, but can we go around the horn and say, does Serial deserve credit for this particular appeals yes. win? Yes, because of the no. Asia McLean well, issue. Let me just
3: say this, and I not, mean not it.
4: taking away from Justin Brown. No, all no, of no, this, no. Yeah, no. We- I mean
3: it. Rabia deserves credit for pursuing a journalist to do the story. Sure, Serial deserves credit for doing the story. Period. Like the story that they did was the one that reached what's now down, down more than five hundred million times. Serial yeah. deserves that credit. The Asia McLean issue was at the heart of that. And the Cell Tower thing that Susan uncovered would never have been something that she would have looked to uncover had not Serial done that as a whole episode in well, their podcast.
4: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, in this, certainly the Cell Tower the stuff has yes. won the day last time. Serial
3: deserves the credit Asia for that. Asia McClain
4: well. wins it this time, so Serial yes. gets the W? Gets the, the they get w? the W.
3: But Robbie always gets the Toby W before it. Agrees. Serial wouldn't have had the story were not for her.
0: I, I think we should take credit for this. Oh, we should. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Is 100%. Our, our, right. Our, our pithy analysis, I 10. think. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> might, have put it, might have put it over the top.
3: Totally. So you're welcome. You're welcome, people. You are welcome. Yep. So, Kevin, quick question for you. What do you think of uh, inter- You're the one who interviewed Colin. Yeah. And usually it's me who interviews like the special people. So I sent you down to the basement. You were busy. I was busy, and I was like, go interview Legal Siri. You're, you're, you went in cold. Mm-hmm. You did a very good job, by you the prepared way.
4: prepared a couple of questions. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you.
3: What do you think of, of Colin's breakdown?
4: It was it was a great breakdown. Unlike those bad breakdowns that you get that require you calling yourmechanic.com. Wait,
3: what? Yeah, you wait. Me- what are you talking about? As a sponsor?
4: Yeah, yourmechanic.com sends the mechanic right to your home or office. Better yet, your at your mechanic, you can get the quote up front, and that is the actual price you pay. So like right now we're doing this podcast. Yes could be getting my oil change right now by your mechanic or doing some tune-ups <laughs> or things like that
0: is, listen, is that a code word Listen,
5: is i'm not a code I'm word? sorry but i'm thinking this is a good way to find dates i mean i don't know i'm
4: not <laughs> no, i don't know it's want, not that kind of website i don't
5: want to take away from your mechanic.com but that
3: transition was so rapid can you just go back and explain what your mechanic.com is again because i feel a little bit like i like, Horns swoggled? What, okay. what was that? What was that?
4: Yourmechanic.com is a okay. service yes. that a mechanic will go to you, your home or your office, and do repairs on your car or your truck. And that way you don't have to do the thing where you like try to make some time and get out of work and bring the car to the garage.
3: You that thing I did yesterday with our son's car? Where like yes. I took it there and it was a whole like appointment? I don't have to I don't have to worry about that.
4: You don't have to worry about they that. They could just
3: come to our house?
4: They come to your house wherever you want. And they back up every service with a twelve thousand mile, twelve month warranty. And you can also get like a full background check on their mechanics. They all have like an on an average ten years worth of experience. So like if your car won't stop, the check engine light keeps it bugging you.
3: That's
5: really bad. I think you may want to start <laughs> if it's a self driving car. <laughs> <laughs> Running people over call <laughs> yeah. your mechanic we'll
4: call today, schedule your appointment or visit yourmechanic.com dot com slash crime and a mechanic will come to your home or office for a limited time now you can get twenty dollars off your first service. you can actually call now as well call eight 800- hundred. 701-6230. We'll put the phone number in our show notes. You will? 800-701-6230. Or go to yourmechanic.com slash crime.
3: Crime. I am fascinated by that sponsor. I'm going to go to that website immediately after we
5: stop recording this podcast. Kevin, what do else do you have? Do they have pictures of the mechanics you can <laughs> choose from?
4: <laughs> God damn it, Laura. You swipe, had to go there. They don't have that kind of tool for your for your rental, Laura.
3: Okay.
4: I'd like to get a lube job.
3: Can you have him bring his socket set? <laughs> what else you got, Kevin?
4: Want to get jacked up? Um, <laughs> hey, look, Rebecca, you'd never turn down free money, right?
3: Uh, no one ever offers it to me, but if they did, I would not turn it down.
4: Look, but if you shop online without the best coupons, you're already paying too much. But fortunately, there's a free browser extension called Honey <gasps> that automatically finds the best coupons on the web, so you always get the best prices on everything online.
3: I already know about Honey and I already use Honey. I love it. Even though I didn't know they were a sponsor of the show, I'm this reaction right now. authentic. I'm so excited.
4: Do you want to tell people? No,
3: you go ahead and tell them.
4: Okay, it's like two clicks, and you can add Honey to your browser, and you just shop like you normally do. You can go to Honey, and you can find out like all sorts of coupon codes Mm -hmm. that you can use at all sorts of shopping websites, the ones you know, ones you've never heard of, just browse through, and you go through, and boom, you get... That best deal, they keep searching like every hour, they're updating for like the best deal and coupons and other codes. Seven million people use Honey every day, and they've saved millions of dollars. I said, Okay, I'll try it. I didn't know my wife already does this. This is probably why so much stuff keeps showing up at my house mm-hmm. because she can afford it. I went to Honey, looked through the different stuff, saved a hundred dollars on a pair of glasses. Yep, with a coupon code. That's you, a lot of money,
3: you people. You know, that amazing, um, a stereo speaker that showed up at our house Shut
4: today. Shut up. Honey With honey? Honey deal. Honey yeah. Deal. yeah. In fact, when you use the um, the extension, sometimes you go to some of the different shopping sites. Honey is there. Yes. It, it's, it appears on the website. It's like
3: magic. Yeah. It'll it's te- like a Hogwarts ghost <laughs> just showing you what you could be spending.
4: It'll tell you the best price. And if it, if that is the best price that you're looking at at the moment, you can even get an alert. Tell me in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days yeah. if this price goes down. Yeah. There's no reason not to add honey to your browser today. It's free and it just takes seconds to install, and you will save a ton of money. So add honey to your browser for free right now at joinhoney.com slash crime. Crime. Don't go to honey.com. It's a whole different website. Ooh. That's joinhoney. Joinhoney.com slash crime.
3: Crime. Honestly, I personally recommend it. I didn't even know they were going to be a sponsor. I've been using it for a while. We long need to time. talk more. All right. Moving on, Panoply is out with a seven-part podcast called Empire on Blood.
4: I think it was a Wednesday evening, 2011. The phone rang in my apartment. A prisoner was on the line. The inmate said he was wrongfully convicted of a double homicide. He had evidence, he told me, and he said he needed my help. I hesitated, and then I told him I'd look into it. And that, that launched my obsession to get to the truth behind one murder case.
3: Empire on Blood is magazine writer Steve Fishman's seven-year relationship with crack dealer Calvin Buari, who was in jail for more than 20 years for a double homicide that he said he didn't commit. To tell the story of Calvin's search for justice, Fishman meets Cal's drug-dealing frenemy, and a prosecutor who rescues turtles, and a cop who's too good at getting confessions, and a private eye who carries a Bible, a gun, and a bottle of wine. So, listeners, we are going to be discussing some spoilers in our discussion about Empire on Blood, so if you'd rather hear our review or recommendation of whether or not you should listen without the discussion, just take a look at the show notes for the timestamp to which you can skip to get our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. I feel like I would not be fair in bringing up this podcast without just throwing something on the table, something I said to you, Kevin, before you started listening. Steve Fishman, the journalist behind this podcast, he has a unique writing style, but more than that, he reads his own writing in a unique way.
4: Long ago, Calvin Buari made headlines in New York City. Back then, he seemed to be one of the most dangerous and flamboyant crack dealers in all the five boroughs. Ruining neighborhoods while wearing mink.
5: Laura, thoughts? Oh, boy, you're coming right to me. Um, it took some adjusting, too, for me. He has a, a way—I don't want to like pick apart the way someone talks, but just the way of enunciating certain words and delivering um, the story that can be a little distracting if you focus on that rather than what he's saying, if that makes sense.
4: I mean, I know it's, it's a little different— and it's not his conversational voice; he's reading his writing voice, and he's not a radio or audio guy by nature.
5: He should be.
3: He did the uh, Ponzi Supernova podcast, which was a big podcast,
4: right? But I mean, his pedigree is is in print. Yes, I, I know that I've been, you know, looking on Facebook, and there are a lot of people who have a lot of problems with his relationships with the subjects and the way that he reads his copy. But I like it. I I like that it's you know it's very. Much like a storytelling kind of podcast, which I don't think we hear enough of. So I know I, I don't know if I'm in the minority or not, but I liked
0: it. It's a little performative for me, mm-hmm. uh, quite honestly. It reminded me a little bit of uh, the Heaven's Gate
3: mm-hmm.
0: podcast. Yeah. Yep. It wasn't my favorite. And it, sometimes I found it a little frustrating, and other times it, it didn't bother me at all. Right. You know, there is an adjustment period. And like you compare it to, say, like Connie Walker. And she just comes across as more authentic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, you know, it didn't ruin my experience or anything like that. It was just like a uh, a like feature that I didn't uh, necessarily enjoy. It as didn't much. take
4: you so far out of the story that it became a
0: distraction. No, no.
3: Well, here, here's what I would compare it to. So we talked a while ago when it first came out about Crime Town. And Crime Town is hosted by two guys who have a certain, certain, like manner of speech and delivery. Right. But in Crime Town, you also hear those guys talk to people and you hear their ads and in their ads and in their talking, they sound the same as they do when they're narrating the podcast. And in this podcast, you hear Steve in interviews and in conversations on the phone and even in his ads and he sounds different in those things than he sounds when he's doing his narration. So to me, it is a choice to narrate the show a certain way Mm
4: -hmm.
3: and you either have to go with it or be distracted by it and you and you as a listener have to choose to me that is a bug not a feature because you're challenging the listener to choose in a way that could be distracting from tipping my hand what i think is a super interesting story so let's let's get beyond that i just want to throw it out there first because i do feel like that is the first impression people will get and i just wanted to throw it out there and I think it's important to acknowledge that the style is there. So let's talk about the main character here, Calvin Buari. We first hear he's a crack dealer in the Bronx who made the choice to bring the business from Brooklyn to the Bronx. I, I do think that that the character Steve talks to, they just talk about like the economy of what's going on at that time. And this is not like a a super new story. We do know that there's limited opportunity for people growing up in certain neighborhoods and that like this is part of that opportunity. So You know, we have a drug dealer now living in the Bronx, and that's sort of our main character, Calvin. Is this a character right out of the gate that we want to root for? Kevin, what do you think?
4: I don't know. I mean, I think certainly Stephen does a good job of sort of providing context for explaining what 1990s New York was like with the pre-Giuliani era and and when Giuliani became mayor— And the whole idea of super predators and whatnot, and I think we hear that sort of at the in the second to last podcast, where it's uh, where where Cal's attorney's like, you know, the prosecution thinks this is still nineteen ninety, yeah. But yeah, for certain, we've got a guy who is flamboyant, but is selling drugs Mm -hmm. to people, ruining the neighborhood.
3: Did he kill two people in a car in cold blood?
4: That we don't know.
3: That we don't know. And that is like the whole thing here, right? Right, exactly. And this is the thing that I think a lot of true crime podcasts challenge us with is are we talking about a perfect defendant? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, this yeah. is one of the reasons why I think serial yeah. is such a compelling story for people. Because on the one hand, you either have an honor student who's just like any other sixteen year old who like mm-hmm. maybe smoked a little pot and did something that like every like sixteen year old does, or who might be a psychopathic murderer. You know what I mean? But in a lot mm-hmm. of real stories, like the ones that Laura has worked on as a yes. defense investigator, you have imperfect defendants who maybe didn't commit the crime.
5: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, Rebecca. You know me too well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of cases I worked on, you have people that are not likable. You have people that have bad facts in their life. You have people that don't look ideal when you get them into court. But at the same time, they may not be guilty, or they may not be guilty of what they're totally charged with. They may be guilty of some of it, not all of it, but at the same time, you're not going to always have this person that is, like the like you said, honor student or perfect angel that you want to root for who just found themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. You're going to have real people who are involved in situations, but what actually happened may not be what they were charged with.
3: Now, one of the things that's very interesting to me about Empire on Blood is Steve's relationship with calvin also with another character dwight who we'll talk about in a minute who's sort of the frenemy slash betrayer of calvin it's very complicated he also develops real relationships with the other side with turtle man the main prosecutor alan karen with you know less so with father frank uh vigiano uh, and his huge boat and like that (laughs) whole weird thing and and with p.i joe barry but like mostly the the primary relationships he has with the two guys who are in prison, Calvin and Dwight, and we see a lot, and I think this was a criticism that came out a lot in Serial Season 1, like with Sarah Koenig, you know, in her phone calls to Adnan where they talked about what he's cooking in the kitchen and all the other stuff, like you know, is she crossing a line where she's not being objective? And we saw her in a lot of interviews and we discussed this a lot in the podcast. Like, that's kind of a bullshit thing. When you're reporting a story for a long time, you have to develop a relationship. It's just a question of whether or not you show it in your reporting or not. Steve Fishman was super transparent about showing those relationships in this whole story. Toby, what did you think about that?
0: You know, I didn't really have a big problem with it. You are kind of put in a weird situation where you end up, or at least I I think the intention is that you you end up rooting for this guy who you know, was, I think, sort of undeniably a bad guy back in the day. But I I didn't really have a a problem with it. And I think in order to produce something like this, you you have to have some kind of relationship, as as you said. And I think it's hard if you're going to be sort of that intimately involved for that period of time – like, you're either going to end up liking the guy or you're going to really hate him.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it doesn't surprise me. And I think the fact that, that he's pretty upfront about it is fine. And that's just kind of the nature of the beast, I think.
3: I actually agree with you. And to all of our detractors on uh, our Facebook group and other places I've seen, what Steve is doing here, which is different and that I really, really like is he's just saying it. He's saying, I came to like this guy. I have a relationship with this guy. And he is including tape that I think some people might say compromises him. I'm putting that in quoting marks as a journalist. But that a lot of journalists actually do and they just don't include in their story. Mm -hmm. I think about our book, Kevin, Our Little Secret, where I went to the uh, prison a bunch of times to, to interview the killer in that story. And I think of all of the conversations we had Which were just friendship style conversations, which weren't fake. Like, I liked Mm -hmm. the guy. I became friends with him. I care very much about whether or not he has the right coat when he's going outside. I care very much about how he feels about his family and like his pain. I care about all that and I cared about it. We couldn't and didn't include that in the book because that wasn't like the story that our editor would let us tell. Podcasting is different.
4: It was a good epilogue, though.
3: What did you think of that, Kevin?
4: Well, I think that the concern that people have is it's on on two fronts. One is whether or not it's ethical at all to do this. Is he being genuine when he talks to Dwight and to Cal, and he's being their friends? Is he, you know, it's one thing if he's like genuine but misguided, uh, but is is he just you know playing them off or, or whatever? And if he is, is that a problem? The other thing that is more my concern is, or the thing that I would be concerned about, is whether or not it's sort of, and we've talked about this before, it's like, who does he serve? And whose water is he carrying? Right. He can either be the advocate for the audience, which means to probe all of the different stories and the angles and the things that are wrong Uh, and the inconsistencies in the stories of Cal and the others, or he can be the advocate for his friends, for Cal. Mm -hmm. And is he just telling Cal's story at the expense of what the audience learns? Mm. And it's hard to get that balance. Right. But he's he's transparent about the fact that yeah I I've come to have a relationship with the guy I like him but he also points out things when he th- like he's testifying and saying he didn't carry guns no I have tape of him saying he carries yes. guns. things like that he betrays him yeah
3: well, what do you yeah. think? but I don't have
4: I don't have a position on that yeah, other than I think that's I'm a concern I'm just
3: curious and I mean I understand the concern yeah but I do think he does it fairly with everyone like he like the, the thing that i like about this and i think i said this to you when i i, I was way ahead of you and listening to it i finished it before you did mm-hmm. and i was like i think that this is like a fully immersive reporting experience where he developed relationships with everyone mm-hmm. and puts mm-hmm. everything he had in there mm-hmm. the the yeah. place where that shows the most is his relationship with this guy dwight and for listeners who have not listened to this podcast yet, the basically uh we're in
4: the spoiler area. They the, should have listened yeah, to this podcast. But no, but, but
3: if they haven't, yeah. and there's like the bare bones of the story is this guy Calvin is accused of killing these two brothers in a car. Mm-hmm. Uh Dwight uh through a series of events that i'm not going to go super into at one point he was he was friends with calvin on the streets for a while he kind of saw calvin as a brother he says at one point in the podcast calvin was like no our relationship wasn't really like that he's just a dude i knew but for dwight the relationship was more important it turns out like dwight is at different times either a witness for cal but then turns on cal and becomes a witness against cal but then doesn't Mm -hmm. show up for the hearing where he could deliver that. He changes his mind. And then at one point, Dwight confesses to the murder that Cal is in prison for and becomes like perhaps the exonerating witness against Cal. Mm -hmm. It's very complicated. And Steve is equal parts talking on the phone with both of them, like sending them both clothing and like having this like supportive relationship with both of them also visiting turtle man at his house with all of his turtles <laughs> <laughs> he's all in with
5: everyone and this and that, i love it i don't laura is that's why i don't have a problem with it he is all in with everyone and i think his his boundaries are a little blurred here but he is transparent about it the thing that i thought about when i when i was kind of trying to put that all in perspective was you know he got the trust Of everybody that was involved in this case. And had he not let his boundaries down somewhat to form those relationships, he wouldn't have had that level of trust. And he wouldn't have had the story to the level that he had the story. So, you know, so I think that that's how he he got the story that he got. You know, I wouldn't call it like the same type of journalism as like, I mean, it's, it's it's a little bit different, but I loved uh, all the details of these people that he was just like cruising around with and he's riding the train with the guy with the wine in his bag and he's like hanging out with the turtles. And I mean, it was just, um, there was a lot of really quirky details that made you feel like he was kind of sitting around telling you this story, like one of his friends at his bar.
0: The more we kind of talk about it, I think there are, like, the usual concerns about, you know, journalists forming relationships with people that they are ultimately going to exploit. And I think what's a little bit different here is that the people who at the end probably feel most exploited are, like, Turtle Man, who he's, he ends up being pretty negative about in the end. But... Um, I don't know.
3: Is he more negative about Turtle Man than he is about everybody else? I mean, basically, Turtle Man, he says, the guy said he never got a thing overturned, but that's not true. And with Calvin, he says, he said this on the stand, and that's not true. Like, he, he right. calls people out on their bullshit, I think, kind of equally.
5: In this. But
0: I think, my, my, my sense was, okay, my sense about his his feelings about Turtle Man were that when Turtle Man, he, he's basically like, oh, yeah, it's just bullshit. Like, Cal paid those those women off to give this testimony to get himself free and i think that the the position on that was that's bullshit and i think part of that is steve you know being more or less in cal's corner i mean you can be in somebody's corner and still call them on their bullshit right right right. you know but he's obviously very very happy when cal gets out
3: well he's decided to include that tape in the Podcast. I mean, I think a lot of journalists would react the same way if they've been working on a story for a long time. I really do.
4: Years. Yeah.
3: And I'm sorry to say, like, there are no journalists who get in that close with a story like this and then don't also have a legitimate human reaction when there's a big break. He just made the choice to include that, like include that tape, which I thought was a super interesting choice. And I think what people are reacting to when they're saying he's too close, he's whatever. He's like, no, He's just showing you. I don't know. I mean, that's how I felt. Now, Kevin, I have a, a style choice question for you. All right. I thought that Steve did something really clever here. The whole podcast. You know how you know we hear things when we listen to things. We listen critically because you know I've both worked in news. Right. Uh, how about editing, and we'll sometimes say like. This person should have edited this out. Like we talked about Connie Walker a couple weeks ago of like, you know, you would have edited out some of the rhetorical question stuff or whatever. You hear the lack of editing. It's actually really hard to hear editing. My strong impression in this show is that Steve did a, a great job cutting out a lot of stuff we didn't need to know and a lot of characters we didn't need to have. So he boiled himself down to sort of like, what, like eight central characters. And then he gave them all, very cleverly, I thought, nicknames. Almost everyone had a nickname.
4: <laughs> it's like Father Frank. Evelina,
3: and Evelina. I love right. them. The key witness. Right. It, which wasn't her name. It was one sort of the nicknames she gave herself. And he would mm-hmm. embrace her nickname, Turtle Man, mm-hmm. which is not Turtle Man. It's the first prosecutor in the case. You have Cal, Calvin, Calvin Buari, but we know him. You have Dwight. So like, They're the only people with real names. Almost everyone else in this podcast has a nickname, and then you think about, like, all the other people that you know he had to have talked to report this are just out of it. Is that not, like, paring down uh, and editing? Yeah,
4: I mean, I think it's good editing to cut out, as we would say on the page, dead wood. Right. That, you know, you keep it as, as tight as you can with with as few extraneous details and characters as you can get. Sometimes those are great. They add different kinds of color and depth. But for this kind of story, I think it was great that the color was added by uh, his language and his observations and not by necessarily bringing in everybody that was in the neighborhood. You know, I mean, we hear in, in, I think it was episode one, we heard one guy from the neighborhood who was a a dealer, and I'm trying to remember what his name was. We didn't hear from his name mentioned again until the last episode. But he, you know, he wasn't like a recurring character. We didn't keep hearing him talking about the good old days, right. you know, when we start we bring in Dwight and somebody like gets his opinion about Dwight. Just kind of did his thing, moved on. Right. I, I thought it was good. I thought I thought it made it a lot tighter.
3: And there was probably a lot of other historical context, sure. a lot of other people he talked to to get the information that we heard. But like. You don't need to hear everybody's voices. I don't know. I heard a lot of good editing in this. That was the strongest thing about it. You
4: mean it. audio editing or, or no, copy story editing? No, story editing. Yeah, yeah. Not
3: audio editing. Story editing. Yeah. Like, I mean,
4: for the for for the things that people don't like a, about the way the, the narrator read his script, I think that if you just looked at the copy on pa- on the paper, the writing, the whole was, thing, the like as is a, a monster strong. magazine yeah, article. Yeah, I think you'd say like this is really good. I think
3: the writing writing was very yeah. strong. All right, so I have a question. Because if that's for you not guys, good, the
4: rest of it's not going to be. good.
3: Because the one thing we have to address uh, is Dwight. Okay. Uh, Dwight is a character that uh, poet goes, of evil <laughs> goes back and forth from being a an advocate for Calvin to the enemy of Calvin and the betrayer. He's what the the Judas of the story. He's a complicated character, and yet Steve is as close to him as he is to Calvin in some ways. Laura, what what did you think of Dwight and his claims of not knowing anything slash actually being the killer slash being Calvin's best friend slash... What do you think of Dwight? And what do you think of Steve's relationship with him?
5: I think it's about power for the course for like <laughs> somebody that's been involved in the type of criminal activity he had been involved in and kind of his background before he went to jail. So, you know, the changing story, depending on who you're talking to, that doesn't really surprise me. You know, I'm glad it all worked out in the end. I thought it was um, really interesting when you know, you're listening to these phone calls. When th- that was one of the things I, I liked. When when you're listening to the relationship form between Stephen Dwight or Stephen Cal, and they're having these phone calls about these just sort of normal, everyday things. And at one point, I think, you know, Steve says, I'm sorry to be talking about this. And he's like, no, I, I like to hear what's happening out there. I don't mm-hmm. know, remember which guy said that. It was interesting, the level of information they were sharing about their lives with each other. Like yeah. Steve's talking about going camping with his kids. And some people really put up that wall when they are at work in terms of not sharing that kind of information. Yeah. So I think it was pretty clever on Steve's part in forming this relationship with Dwight because it's it's like he gives a little information Dwight gives a little information so in a way his sharing information about what he was doing in his life gave Dwight that sort of feeling of oh he's sharing with me I can share with him right but we also know that Steve
3: is grappling with this idea that Dwight might be the bad guy here Dwight might be the killer Dwight has confessed to the killing Dwight has also betrayed the protagonist in Steve's story like, straight-up betrayed him. Like, that's complicated. Yeah, why does Dwight yeah.
4: cuddle up with both Cal and with Steve if he is the trigger man? Is it a keep-your-enemies-closer kind of thing or something else?
3: I think Dwight is lower on the totem pole. I think there's an excellent chance Dwight committed the crime, and I think there's an excellent chance that, over time, Cal would forgive him, mm-hmm. for or at least he thinks that, and I think mm-hmm. he's playing both sides mm-hmm. of the coin. I think Steve knows he's playing both sides of the coin. And he's fostering this relationship knowing that. But here's the complicated question, and it comes up at the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Dwight may or may not be the bad guy. We've heard Steve continue to struggle with his own relationship with him and yet still offer to like send him clothes and all the stuff they're doing.
4: Porno mags. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that
5: was the best one. <laughs> he sure, Dwayne. So I was like, sure.
0: Was that before or after he like pissed off the guards by masturbating in his cell? Exactly. Oh, Jesus Christ!
5: Exactly. <laughs> he needs some Brooklyn and sheets. Oh,
4: Jesus, Rebecca. Oh, oh no, oh, Laura. <laughs> oh no, he needs Brooklyn and sheets.
3: It's true. But we also yeah. hear one point, like Steve- Several pairs of- Super apparently. interesting conversation, and one that I can relate to, having had with somebody who was in prison, mm-hmm. when he's telling him about his plan to beat somebody up, and he's like, you shouldn't be telling me this, but at the same time, he's also like, you should be telling me this because I'm taping it, and it's really good for the podcast. It gets weird, right? Yeah. But uh, you find
4: out he's only saying that, so the guards will hear it.
3: Right. Allegedly. get the thing- Yeah. Allegedly.
4: Well, it works out in right. his favor.
3: But at the very end- Mm-hmm. We know that Steve has had these deep relationships with these guys. He's, you know, sent the camera crew to follow Calvin back to visit his mother mm-hmm. after he's exonerated.
4: Interesting he is, scene too. He's
3: there when Calvin finally gets out of prison after this whole mishap about all that bullshit Paperwork. stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> he's in it. He's yeah. in it. Flash forward. Calvin is out. Calvin is uh, starts his own business. Everything seems good. But then, like, I don't think too surprisingly, he's, he becomes lost. He's living in a van. He's not doing well. And Steve yeah. is still reporting the story. And as a listener, you kind of feel like, you know, with any other story that's being reported by somebody who's a little bit neutral, you're like, oh, that's really too bad. But with Steve, you're like, why can't you give Cal a job? Why can't yeah. you let him work at Irv's?
4: Be a bar
5: back.
3: Herbs. I know. That's right.
5: Instead Instead of design of driving the, website. the
3: back. And forth. to me that's where the problem with the lack of objectivity comes in right like you can report you draw the story a line somewhere, yeah. and you can be my friend but you're not going to actually help me when I tell you I'm sleeping in my van I don't know like that's no. you don't I'm, know if
4: he's asked for the help and
3: though. by the way yeah. I'm not saying that like Steve is wrong here mm-hmm. I'm just saying as a listener it's like I don't know Did yeah. I, am I the only one who felt weird about that
5: I, I felt like he was kind of kicking him while he was down a little bit like I was just like Oh, like the whole ending was so depressing. (laughs) It was like, you know, and then there was it's like he's in the van. He's not acclimating to life on the outside. I mean, yeah, he's got this job that he's like this this little business he started, but it's still a connection to the prison,
1: which is. Yeah, I mean,
5: it is. But it's also like it's like he's maintaining this connection to the prison because that's like still what he knows in terms of his world view and 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 it just it was very sad and then the scene with his mother I I felt like that went on like five minutes too long I'm like enough it's like it was just depressing at that point I, I just felt like it was almost I wouldn't say exploiting this guy but I just felt like I don't know if anyone else felt like that about the scene with the mother but I just felt like it was just really tragic to listen to and I felt like 30 seconds of that would have sufficed but the ongoing repetitive nature of that whole scene just I was like, ugh. Oh. Toby, what did you think about sort of like how this
3: relationship culminated? Like, this guy gets out, we hear all emotional fallout, and then we hear, not surprisingly, things are not great for him. And yet, you know, Steve is here. Steve, by the way, and I would love for someone to just talk about the fact that he talks about his bar like
5: four times. Herbst?
4: Who wants to go to Herbs. Yeah. It's,
5: it's like a, it's a free ad. Am I am I wrong? Hey. hey. It is. I take the Maybe shot. that's where take. we can have our live podcast event when if we uh, go to New York go City. Go to Brooklyn? I'm not Herbst? lying. <laughs> if I owned a bar, I would talk about it on this podcast
3: every damn time we that's do this right. podcast. I cannot blame Steve for doing that. That being said. <laughs> you can support
4: yeah. this podcast at patreon.com slash Irv's Bar.
3: <laughs> uh, no, uh, Partners in Crime Media. Of- Toby, Toby, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's interesting that he chose to to put that in and sort of raise that question. I, I think that's that way lies madness yeah. to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Yep. And mm-hmm. while he did kind of buy, I mean, he obviously did a lot to get him out of out of prison as part of pursuing a story, but there does come a point where the story is kind of over. Do you maintain like lifelong relationships with all the people that that you do stories on? Well, I in think my that's world,
5: a... sometimes I do
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. involuntarily, well, maybe unintentionally.
5: Kevin,
3: of the four of us, I think you could probably speak to this the most. You reported uh, like on a case on one of the books that you wrote, Wicked Intentions and you became really close with the mother of one of the victims. You also became pretty mm-hmm. close with the sister of the serial killer. You're still Facebook friends and- With both of them. Interact with each They're Facebook people. friends with each other. Isn't yeah. it hard? I mean, I know from the books we've written where I've interacted with people, like,
4: mm-hmm.
3: when you're done, you do kind of have to move on. It's tough, but you do. Correct. Right.
4: You do, yes. The answer is yes, you have to move on. But
3: you also, when you write a book, it's on a shelf and it's done. When you're in a podcast, the format's a little different. It's it's different if the relationship is that...
4: This guy can call you whenever he wants, right? From behind bars or whatever. Dwight
3: is still going to be calling Steve. Yeah, I guarantee it. It's Steve's choice what he up. How did up the or podcast
4: not? go, Steve? Right. And uh, am I you... getting
5: my chuckas? <laughs> <laughs> what about my porn? <laughs> my porn? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it. It ends up being to you know how, how, to what end? How does this end, right? For you, and I can understand why with Cal he maintains this relationship because he is working on a story. Cal knows that. And he's involved in all this other stuff, and so, to him, professionally, it's worth it to maintain the relationship. But Cal also but, did say
3: to him at one point, like the reason I want to be out is to be surrounded by genuine people who love me, mm-hmm. like you. Mm. Like that was implied there, right? Like you're one of the people mm-hmm. who genuinely love yeah. me. Yeah,
4: and I think I I yeah. don't I think and Steve I think said he that, said right? he
3: loved him, didn't he? He said he I love you at one point. He did. He did. Yeah. That's what makes it rough. And I actually think it's up to the listener to decide how they feel about that. I really do. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's right or wrong. I think it's transparent. and have the listener to decide. So on that note, uh, why don't we do that thing that we do and go around the horn and just tell our listeners, should they check out Empire on Blood by Steve Fishman and Panoply? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down for Empire on Blood? I'm going with Thumbs Up.
5: Um, It took me, like I said, a little bit to adjust to the narration style, but I am a person who gives nicknames to everybody. I have, like, nicknames for everybody in my town, so (laughs) I loved his use of nicknames. I'm just going to say... We have a plankton in our town from oh, God. SpongeBob. We've got a piss belly in our town. Piss belly, you know. So I, I we have a piss pants. Um, <laughs> I won't tell you the story of that. So I, I loved all that, and I loved all. Like I'm somebody who gravitates to kind of these quirky character details, so I was like right up my alley. And it had a satisfying ending. Obviously, it was it was good, and it was a really interesting story. And um, I loved the. Level of access that he had to all the people that were involved Toby thumbs up or thumbs
3: down to Empire on blood
0: You know, I'll give it a thumbs up I think the the problem with the thumbs up thumbs down thing is that in the past like month and a half uh, Between West Cork and missing and murdered season two We've listened to two really really good Podcast series and I don't think this is up to that standard but it's it's still it's still good. It's, it's got a lot of interesting stuff in it, so I would yeah I would recommend it.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up too. I um, when I first started listening, I immediately just as an audio person, and I'm just gonna address it one more time. When you hear somebody deliver narration in a certain style, and mm-hmm. it, it is stylized, what mm-hmm. Steve Fishman decides to do with his narration. And in later episodes, it actually kind of calms down quite a bit. But especially in the first couple episodes, it's an aggressively stylized reading style. Mm -hmm. That sounds, as I said to you, like he's doing an impression of Ice-T and SVU. It is potentially off-putting. Do not let yourself be put off by that. Because there is a whole lot of there there in the story. I do really like uh, Steve's reporting I love his transparency. He sort of breaks through all of the bullshit journalism stuff where you can't be close and you can't do this and you can't do that. He breaks through it because, as Laura pointed out, he also talks to the prosecutor. He also talks to the prosecutor's investigator. He also talks to the private eye. He also talks to the witnesses. He has everyone and he gives everyone equal equal weight And he does disclose that he's become friendly with the guy that is ultimately at the center of this. So I loved it. I absolutely loved it, despite all the things I just said that were critical about (laughs) Steve's delivery. I think it's a choice. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just a choice that I think might be off-putting to some people. But ultimately, there's enough there that I forgive the choice and I... I really like the podcast. Big thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin?
4: Yeah, I'm also a thumbs up. I I recognize that Steve's delivery style kind of made him a character in the story yep. himself. I mean, obviously he's a he's a first person participant. This is first person journalism. The question often becomes whose story is it? Is it the reporters? Is it the subject? I think this remains Cal's story and Steve is an interesting character in it. And he tells you right up front as a storyteller who you're gonna meet. And uh, you follow along and you, uh, you live and die on Cal's story. Yeah. And, and I think it, it, it's good. Yeah. I mean, it's stylized. Maybe it's not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, it, it definitely, you know worked for me. And he, you know, he deserves some, some credit if for nothing else from, from working for seven years. On a particular story. Yes, yeah, a long time. It is a long time, yeah. it's especially
3: not... when editors turned him down, as he <laughs> says in the podcast.
4: Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not just like googling a, a story and then you know reading it on a podcast. Exactly. It's, it's, it's like some real, you know, elbow grease uh, put into that, and you know that's a lot of material you got to sift through. And you know, like with me, when I've got a bunch of old stuff sitting around, you know, old photos. This
3: is going somewhere.
4: Old videotapes.
3: I think you just say where it's going. Film. Yeah.
4: I turned to Legacy Box, oh. the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home movies and photos. They're here to help. All right. Did you see the, the photo I, I posted from high school? I did. When we went to, to France?
3: I did. You were really, really unattractive in that photo.
4: I mean, no, Come on now. I was I was 16 and I had it going on. But I had a bunch of photos that I took one of those disc cameras. <laughs> Who remembers the disc camera? I do you do. remember?
3: I remember Do you remember how the,
4: the, the film was in that? How so it looked stupid. like stupid. Yeah, like a, it was like a daisy for crying out loud. It was
3: so stupid.
4: Well I had all the prints, I sent them to Legacy Box, they were able to scan them. Yeah, you could spend like six days with that scanner that you bought and like put all those photographs in it, but you don't have time to do that. Nope. Legacy Box does it right and it also does it great for film. Now I'm telling you what I'm sending next. Alright, ready. So my parents have had Home movies on film. I remember watching these films when I was a baby. My parents went out to California to yeah. visit my aunt, uh-huh. and they took the Kodak camera with the, you know with the, all the Super film. Eight, Super Eight, exactly. I remember this one scene watching it years later. My dad was running the camera and he was panning on the beach, following my mom, holding my hand, walking on the sand, and a girl in a bikini walks the other way, and he turns and follows her ah. <laughs> in the frame. And then he cuts back to my mother, who has stopped walking and is yelling at him. (laughs) I want to see that on video, and I can with Legacy Box.
3: I want to see that, too. (laughs) Well, there's never been
4: a better time to digitally preserve your old home movies film reels and photos. Visit LegacyBox.com today to get started. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering listeners a huge exclusive discount. Go to LegacyBox.com slash crime Crime. to get 40% off your first order. With this exclusive deal, Legacy Box starts at just $45. Or save up to $200 on the largest Legacy Box kit. So go to LegacyBox.com. Dot com slash crime say forty percent today. Start with just a few tapes or digitize your entire collection. Visit legacybox.com slash crime, crime. and enter our code Crime and crime. save forty percent on your legacy box today. Start preserving your past.
3: What else you got, Kevin?
4: Well, you know, Fab Fit Fun is the seasonal subscription box Ooh. that delivers full size fashion beauty, home fitness, wellness products, all to busy women for a life well lived so about four times a year and at just about 49.99 a box fab fit fun is a fantastic value because there are no sample sizes of anything you get a box but it's like it's not like the little container I
3: bet you money Laura's wearing her Fab Fun poncho
5: right now. I actually am because it's kind of getting cold again, ah. so I'm wrapped up in it. It's yeah. so cozy and soft. It I is. love it. It is.
4: The individual product's value is often more than the entire box. Don't worry if you miss a, the seasonal box because there's a great spring editor's box with favorites from spring and other past seasons, and the spring editor's box has a lot more customization options from a clutch to eyeshadow, to lip gloss. If you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late. Try FabFitFun today. Go to FabFitFun.com to subscribe and start getting the box for a life well-lived. Use promo code CRIME, crime. to get $10 off your first box. So that's products valued at $200, all for only $39.99. Hmm. Go to FabFitFun.com and use our code CRIME, crime. to get $10 off your first box. Fab Fit Fun Box.
3: Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast—a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. <laughs> Remember that time a flock of seagulls trashed a hotel room? No, not the banned flock of seagulls.
4: I ran
3: an actual I ran so
4: far away
3: an actual flock of seagulls. <laughs> now, two decades later, the hotel has lifted the lifetime ban on the hapless guest behind it. Nick Burchill of Nova Scotia had been staying at Victoria's Empress Hotel in 2001. To give as a gift to local friends, Burchill brought with him spicy Nova Scotia pepperoni. But with no refrigerator in the room, he decided to cool it on the windowsill.
4: Perfect. What could go wrong?
3: When Burchill returned to his room, he opened the door to find at least 40 seagulls gorging themselves (laughs) on all that delicious cured meat. Once they were spotted, all of the birds tried to desperately get out underneath the cracked window they'd crawled through. As Birchell put it, quote, The result was a tornado of seagull excrement, feathers, pepperoni chunks, and fairly large birds whipping around the room. The maid was not happy. Birchell was moved to another room, but later banned for life from the hotel. Fast forward to the present. This a
0: little harsh. <laughs>
3: Birchill's company booked him in a room at the Empress for a conference, and the hotel told his boss he wasn't welcome there. In true Canadian fashion, he wrote a heartfelt apology letter. The hotel forgave him after he said he was sorry. No word on whether the maid has also accepted his apology. Question. Channel. This room trashing was a big headache for the hotel. Like
4: an hysterical.
3: What is the biggest problem you have ever created for hotel management. Laura Bricker, I'm
5: going to start with you. So I'm going to censor this a little bit so as not to alienate some of our (laughs) listeners, because I recently created a big headache for a hotel while I was on um, February vacation. The place we were staying at was advertising amidst some family attractions, an attraction that I really didn't think was appropriate for families. You mean letting your kids play
3: with machine guns? Yeah, Machine Gun America. I mean, it was literally that.
5: (laughs) Okay, it was Machine Gun America. It was like in the state two weeks after they had had a mass school shooting. And I was like, this is pretty insensitive for you people to be advertising this next to Legoland and Disney. (laughs) Like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm going to say, Laura, I'm going to take a leap. That's not political.
3: Like, if you think taking your kids okay. to fire a machine gun is a good idea, that's not political. It's okay. Well, you can say that's a bad okay. idea.
5: Okay, I'll carry on. Well, so anyway, so here's how it all went down. I First, I saw it in the room, and I was like, oh, I was, like, getting all enraged because I am the queen of outrage. And then I was like, and Ken goes, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Because uh, I was like, I'm going to the office. I'm not putting up with this. And so I went to the office, and um, I think they could tell I was a little – Perturbed. So they left me sitting out there for 20 minutes thinking I might leave. But in that time, I chose to tweet at them multiple times to their corporate headquarters. And they came out and said they couldn't help me. And I said, That's okay. I just tweeted at you. (laughs) Um, And then thankfully, when I left, uh, by the time I left, they had removed. All evidence of the brochures from their premises. So um, that was a success, but that was probably the biggest nightmare I caused because they saw me coming. They're like, "Oh shit, her again!" Yes, like when I was getting you know, I fighting the
3: man at your hotel. Yes, because you don't believe that children,
5: as an attraction,
3: (laughs) should be firing machine guns, (laughs) like actual literal machine guns.
5: It was literally yeah, twenty four ninety nine. <laughs> the whole
3: family could go.
4: That's still a good price, though.
3: <laughs> it's a very good yeah, price. We I mean, you gonna do it. It's a good price. Toby Ball, yeah. what about you? What is the biggest headache you have ever caused for hotel management?
0: See, I- I'm always a considerate hotel guest, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can't really think of anything I did. I did. Uh, so the night before my wedding, the story I got was. Uh, Four of my friends were sharing a hotel room and one of them locked himself in the bathroom (laughs) and uh, they'd all been, you know, drinking pretty heavily and they could, they could kind of, I don't, he was like ranting and raving about something and they said they finally got him to open and he had like emptied the contents of a tube of toothpaste all over the bathroom. Jesus!
3: Nice. Wow. Nice.
0: I don't feel personally responsible for that, but that's
4: what I got. It's not 40 seagulls, but it's still a mess.
3: Kevin, what about you? What's the worst problem you've ever created for hotel management?
4: I think it was letting all those birds into Laura's nana's (laughs) timeshare. No, actually, when I was in college... We had this. I was a freshman, and the senior class had like this trip at the end of the year where everybody got to go north to this resort. And I'm not going to drop the name of it because I think the governor runs it. But, um, Waterville Valley. But the deal was
3: (laughs) I'll drop the name.
4: They said, Look, a room for four, $50 a night, and we all get to go up. I'm like, Oh, this is great. Although, you know, we're all. Eating ramen noodles, so we all can f- throw in enough scratch for 50 bucks, right? And there's a Jesus, there were like hot tubs in the bathrooms, and we're, we're hanging out with girls and crap like that. And all of a sudden, like the, the, the president of the senior class kind of like walks in her room, she's like, Hey guys, we made a mistake. It wasn't $50 a person, it's $50 per person.
3: Oh. And
4: so they were, we were like, Whoa, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like we're not throwing any more money you told us 50 bucks so we bankrupt the senior class so,
3: nice yeah nice well <laughs> I have a, 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 a problem that I made for hotel management that Kevin does not know about and I'm going to confess oh alright for the oh, first boy. time on this podcast Kevin I apologize in advance yeah Kevin um, has a thing about hotels where yeah. he believes when you go to a hotel you are a different person and you're going to have the best time ever. Yes, can you agree?
4: Maybe. What's the all is right? So there's this
3: one time Kevin and I went to a hotel. I will not say <laughs> what occasion it was. I don't want. And it was family members who are listening. Where Kevin decides we're going to be super sexy people, and we have. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that um, late into the night, the super sexy people thing uh, was a thing that perhaps caused some noise that bothered uh, other people in adjacent rooms. What? And uh, what Kevin doesn't know was that the next day when I went to check out of oh, said hotel, no. I received a note that the <laughs> person checking us out handed me from hotel management that said... The neighbor in the room next to you asked us to pass this along. It couldn't have been that good. Oh!
4: That was the note.
3: <laughs> that was the note. Wow. All right, Laura Bricker. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk <laughs> oh more about God. this off the air. We are. I don't so, think I can. You're talk wrong, to us. lady. It was that good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just Hotel Kevin. It was. It was great, but it was just Hotel Kevin. Lara Bricker. Before we end the show, do we have a cat of the week this week?
5: So, people, you need to send me some cats. I've been getting a lot of other animals, not not cats. So we have a dog of the week this week. Oh, that's fantastic, Megan Maddox. Her dog Darko was 15 last week, and he had a happy Bark Day cake happy and bark doggy day. ice cream. And it's, she says it's not too shabby for 105 years old oh, in human years. 105? And she sends nice pictures.
4: Human years. Not a, not he's got a turtle. his
5: little birthday hat on, and he's, he's looking at his cake, and he's just like, Ugh. he doesn't look super thrilled. But, you know, he is old. So happy birthday Darko.
3: Seriously, Amber the Darko, but anyone else wonder like, how that 128-year-old turtle was walking down the stairs?
4: Very slowly. <laughs> Next question.
1: All He's right. Got the stair
3: lift thing. Laura Bricker, if people want to submit uh, other animals besides dogs to you, but I kind of vote yes. for dogs for pet of the week, how do they find you on Twitter?
5: At Laura Bricker. I also got a uh, chicken and diapers this week, but uh, send me some cats <laughs> at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if you want to reach out to you and find out how they can get
3: the Toby Ball Toby Time Book Club Podcast, how can they find you online?
0: At Toby Ball NH.
3: And Kevin Flynn, people want to reach out to you on Twitter and tell you that it was, in fact, that good. How can they find you online?
0: They don't know it wasn't
3: that good. <laughs> I met Kevin P. Flynn, <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RebLavoy. You can also tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the very fine folks on the official... I'm
4: better than adequate.
3: ...Crime Writers <laughs> On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular old Facebook page. But seriously, please join the Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can subscribe now to get exclusive content on Patreon... At the $5 level. And of course, you can also get great content at stitcherpremium.com slash crime, where you can get our exclusive podcast, Married, Married with, podcast. with Podcast. This week, by the way, we tackle a really great question with a subject line, should I have sex with my unemployed husband? in the middle of the day? It was a great, great question. But it's Uh, not that good. It's super good. If you love this show or any of our podcasts, please tell a friend. And if you haven't already, leave a review on iTunes. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble. And this show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, formerly known as Studio C, the place where we 100% definitely keep our 100-plus year-old turtles. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Hello? Hey, there she is. Hey, Rabia.
0: Hi. Hi. Sorry,
3: guys. Rabia, meet Patrick. He is like by you
1: and I told him I, I love Patrick actually no. I'm so excited you guys I don't I feel like I finally joined the cool club I'm so excited <laughs> to <be> talk <laughs> I feel no I've talked
0: to Rebecca about you every every time I get the chance to mention you and I was like I was like
3: you're both gonna be a crime con like you're gonna meet her and he's like no I'm not I'm like oh, yeah you are
1: can so we be best friends? Totally, I have lots of best friends. I have. I I, I, thank you for wanting to be. Um, and oh, hi Toby. Toby, you're there too, right?
0: Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm dying to talk to you about your book. I'm obsessed with your
1: book.
3: That would oh be a God. good book club book. Because guess who's never read it? Me. You. you and I need to do it. Rebecca Lafoy.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I Rebecca's,
3: Rebecca's just sick of hearing about
0: all <laughs> of no, this. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Yeah. You know,
3: you didn't actually give me a copy of your book. You gave me that other book, and I read it in one I day.
1: Well, I just figured you had my book, woman. So
3: <laughs> I did not know that you did not. But you should be deeply
1: ashamed of yourself. I will get your copy.
3: I hear that I'm even in it, and I. I still it's really true. Mean, wait, do you want to eat? Do you want a Kindle or do you want like a real copy? Oh, I want the real. Are you fucking kidding me? I want it with a signature. Oh, okay. I want it. I want it to yeah. smell like your amazing. Like it's gonna uh, smell like curry and cats. Yes. That? Yes. <laughs> For, for Toby, we're just hijacking
1: his production. I'm also just as excited to talk to Toby, by the way. Toby has been like a, a, a thorn in your side for three years. He, well, no, the crime writers on team. Toby is like that enigma for me. He's like, <laughs> I'm a little bit scared, Toby. To be honest, I'm scared. Yeah,
0: that's probably right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> In crime crime
4: media. Media. YourMechanic.com sends the mechanic right to your home or office. Better yet, you get a quote up front, and it's the actual price you pay. Car won't start. Check engine light bugging you. Call 1-800-701-6230 today to schedule your appointment. Or visit YourMechanic.com slash crime. For a limited time, you'll get $20 off your first service. Call now, 800-701-6230.